On this episode of the GESC podcast, we get a chance to catch up to Randy Lake, which is quite the accomplishment, seeing as he's busy playing all of the characters in our upcoming production of A Christmas Carol. Before we get to that, though, let's talk a little bit about the author Charles Dickens and the origins of this stellar classic work. Ready, Kingsley? (laughs) Actors to your places, podcast listeners to your earbuds. Join us as we make our great escape. Now, the great thing about doing a podcast about a piece by Charles Dickens, or at least heavily inspired, shall we say, by Charles Dickens, is that most of the listening audience, I assume, is familiar with his work, Uh, aside from being one of the most uh, famous 19th century authors uh, while alive, he has gone on to become one of the most widely read British authors of our modern age here. Even if people have not read his complete works, and there are a lot of things to read, (laughs) even if someone hasn't ventured to read a single one of his complete works uh, beyond, say, Great Expectations, which I'm assuming everyone who's gone through the public school probably had to read their freshman year. Uh, I was right there with you, too. I, I suffered through it as well. Um, But if nothing else, people definitely can quote him. For instance, uh, A Tale of Two Cities, who amongst us hasn't heard the line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Uh, The real question is who can quote the next portion. Uh, Even I can't. It's quite all right. Or A Christmas Carol, which, again, being such a well-known and loved Christmas story, starts off with the incredibly morbid line, Marley was dead to begin with. How wonderful is that? You can definitely tell we're dealing with a seasoned author who knows how to grab the attention of his audience when we read something like that. Now, the great challenge of having a subject that everyone is so familiar with is where do we find all those fun, new, interesting facts that I can share to keep you engaged? I've done a little bit of research here, and let me share a couple of the things I found to be interesting. First of all, and which is very fitting for our theater company, is the fact that Charles Dickens almost became a professional actor back in 1832. So we were almost uh, uh, bereft of the great writings of Dickens himself if he had instead gone to the stage. But luckily for us, in 1833, he began writing essays, short stories, and publishing these or sending these rather to other publications and magazines. These would later be brought together to become Sketches by Boz, which would be uh, reprinted in 1836. Now, uh, Sketches by Boz, B-O-Z, that pen name there, a fun fact about that, Charles Dickens took that pen name from, and I'm recalling an anecdote, so you want to double-check the facts on this as far as the relation that uh, we can thank for this, but I believe it was a younger sibling had the inability to pronounce Charles and would mispronounce it Boz, and that's why... Charles Dickens went by Boz for his pen name for some time. Uh, Again, for my uh, eagle-eared listeners and those who know more about Dickens than I do, by all means, correct me if it's not one of his siblings. Perhaps a cousin? I don't know. Again, the details are hazy. My apologies. Now, uh, A Christmas Carol itself, the piece here, uh, was, again, started in 1843 by Dickens, and uh, this was after he had made quite a bit of a name for himself as an author. Uh, Other pieces, such as Martin Chuzzlewit, if you had the opportunity, um, a fantastic piece. Uh, A Tale of Two Cities, as mentioned before, was also had come out. Uh, The Old Curiosity Shop, and of course, a few other pieces, uh, Oliver Twist, for instance, all well-known by today's standards, or only some better than others, and uh, all celebrated pieces of his, Uh, again, came before A Christmas Carol. 
Now, it should be pointed out, too, that once this came out, since he already had an audience built in, it became a huge success. Uh, William Makepeace Thackeray said, it is a national benefit to every man and woman who reads it, a personal kindness. So when it comes to that, if you have William Makepeace Thackeray giving you such uh, kind feedback, then you know you're doing something right. Now, the most interesting thing I found about post-Christmas Carol Charles Dickens was the fact that this was not a one-off thing here. He continued to try to create annual pieces that dealt with Christmas or continued contributing pieces of literature annually through 1867 in order to uh, keep up with the uh, not only the success but also the kind of um, philosophy that was being put forth through A Christmas Carol. Now, none of the other pieces became as popular, of course, as The Christmas Carol as we know it today. Uh, however, just given the uh, prolific nature of Dickens during his time, that's just another piece of evidence to point to what an amazing body of work the man created in such a short amount of time. And speaking of amazing men, let's switch over to our conversation with Randy Lake, who's going to take it upon himself to play all of the characters, again, I can't say that enough, all of the characters of A Christmas Carol at The Great Escape. So I switch now to our time with Randy Lake. So, Randy Lake, thank you again so much for joining us. I appreciate your asking me to do this. Thank you, Tony. So, Randy, we're doing a Christmas Carol here at the Great Escape, yes, and we are. and there are many different versions of this story, many different stage productions and ways to do this. Uh, what is unique about this specific production of a Christmas Carol? Well, uh, Debbie Culver said she was wanting to direct our version of Christmas Carol, and I think I gave her. 12 different scripts of uh, Christmas Carol from the traditional huge cast of 50 to there was one that was done with four people. I think it was called Scrooge in Rouge. Mm. And it was done in a music hall burlesque kind of style with only four people playing all the roles. Uh, Debbie surprised me by saying that she wanted to reprise uh, our original production, which was done in uh, our old space at 155 West Michigan, mm -hmm. it was our very first production, and it was a cutting that John Sherwood and I had done of the story. Mm -hmm. It was basically a one-man version, me, uh, <laughs> with uh, John was running the lights and the sound, and then he came down towards the end of the piece and appeared as Charles Dickens, and there was a magic trick involved where I disappeared and came back. It was, it was fun, it was cheap, <laughs> which is why we did it the first time. Uh, but Debbie was one of the few people who actually saw that production, and she said she would like to take that production and kind of uh, spruce it up, I think, as she said. So basically, this is a one-man version with more people. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and aside from uh, the removal of John Sherwood, always a plus. Um, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, John. <laughs> right. Uh, what are some other things that we can look forward to as far as changes from the original version? Uh, the, the addition of a vocal quartet. Uh, Debbie decided she wanted music throughout the piece. She said, everybody knows A Christmas Carol, but it, it tends to be a little bit of a downer <laughs> of a show. And she's like, I don't like that. It's Christmas. I want to make it fun. So she's added a vocal quartet who sing 
probably close to 20 different numbers throughout the show. I don't know if they sing any of them all the way through, but they the music comes in, it acts as background, it introduces things. Um, the, the four people that are doing that, Kathy Bovitz, Cameron Lake, uh, Ricky DeVore, and Soraya Scutt, uh, also are doing sound effects for the show mm -hmm. as well. So uh, it's, it enhances the storytelling to have kind of these cool sound effects going on as well. Interesting, like a live sound effect that we do for radio plays? Or? It is, although you don't get to see them. Ah, uh, that, that was I one of the see. things Debbie decided she wanted them backstage that they, so I guess they didn't, you know, detract from me. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, the audience needs a respite from me. Put them out in front. Um, and then Elena Solero is uh, our musical director for this as well. So she's, uh, she's got a couple little instrumental things as well. Very nice, very nice. And this is not your first rodeo, so to speak, when it comes to a limited casting show or a smaller <laughs> cast uh, show. Uh, could you explain a little bit of maybe some of your more recent experiences with a, a smaller cast production? <laughs> I think perhaps you're alluding to Greater Tuna. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was a show that I did with Nate Cox earlier this year. I think back in April, possibly. That all blurs together at this point. Um, and uh, that was basically a two-man show, but we played all the citizens of Tuna, Texas. So uh, we got to play multiple uh, characters and wigs and costumes. And uh, the backstage, I think we had five different dressers working backstage to keep us on track and back out. I don't have that on this. Uh, and I don't change costume. I it's just me. <laughs> Very nice. So uh, much like the greater tune, I know there's, uh, again, so many characters to play and everyone has their favorites. Are there any favorite characters that you enjoy playing in A Christmas Carol? Well, I, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to try to keep track of them for myself <laughs> as far as vocally what I'm doing and physically what I'm doing. I do enjoy doing Marley. Mm. Um, I know uh, during rehearsals, people are like, doesn't that hurt your voice? Because I'm doing kind of a, a deep growl for Marley. Mm. Uh, and I said, no, actually, that doesn't. Scrooge's voice hurts my my throat for some reason. It's mm. just because he's kind of, he's grasping, he's, you know, it's like, uh. so um, right. I, there are fun passages in the story. Uh, I took the original uh, story by Charles Dickens, which was a serialized story that appeared, mm. I think, over... 16 weeks in the papers at the time. Um, and so we've left some things in that are normally cut from A Christmas Carol uh, because the wording, his use of language is so wonderful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Charles Dickens used to do a, a reading tour of this story. Mm -hmm. And I can see why because the language is just so Patrick Stewart plummy, you know, it's, it's so wonderful to, to wrap right, your word right. your mouth around those words. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Agreed. I, I'm a big fan of Dickens myself, too. I'm, most of his work. We can get into talking about hard times another day, but... Oblique yeah, house. Oblique house. Oh, God help us. <laughs> so, uh, as far as is that this piece then goes, Randy, why do you think that uh, A Christmas Carol has had such a lasting impact on audiences? Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's at the heart of it, it's about a person uh, looking at their life and realizing that they could do better. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we all aspire to that, uh, particularly around the holiday times. We always think, oh, it's the end of the year. I should get my crap together. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's why it is or not. I do think it's interesting that, you know, it's called uh, Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the fact that ghost stories were very popular at that time mm -hmm. to tell at the holidays. And I'm thinking, 
Why? Because it's about <laughs> death. It's a, you know, but I, I suppose it's the idea too of renewal and mm-hmm. and you know moving forward with your life. So. Uh, yeah, I, maybe it's the idea that, well, if Scrooge can do it, I can do it, too. <laughs> and my last question as I leave uh, with all of our, our interviews, I always ask, what do you hope audiences will get out of this performance? Some of the things that we do here at Great Escape are done because I love the literature of them. And we don't do... All of the things that we do aren't always full productions, as in actors have everything's memorized, sets, costumes, everything else. We do what we call drama slams, which are basically actors doing readings from the show and and carrying the book. And it's a way to communicate the art without having to have the expense of putting the big production behind it. And our our audiences tend to like those. Uh, And this is kind of a hybrid of that. Um, I, I hope people you know, close their eyes and listen. It's kind of a one-man radio show in some ways. And I hope they are able to really hear the, the message of the piece. Randy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. As always, so nice to sit down and chat with Randy. And uh, technically, I got to chat with uh, the entire cast just then. So uh, talk about an efficient interview. If you'd like to come out and see A Christmas Carol at The Great Escape, it's going to be opening December 6th, running through the 16th, so Thursday through Saturday, 7 p.m., and of course, Sundays at 2 p.m. We hope to see you there. A quick thank you to Kyle Booth, who does our music, to Veronica Louise Photography, who does our photography for us. Give her a like and a share on Facebook, and while you're there, give us a like and a share as well. And if you're a fan of the podcast, feel free to check out our page on SoundCloud, or you can go directly to iTunes to download us as well. It's been a fantastic year, everybody. It's the last show of the season of the year here. We've got so many fantastic things coming your way. I know the season all the way through July, and I'm super excited to talk about it when we come back after the new year. You guys are in for a treat. Some shows I've been wanting to see for a long time are finally going to happen, and I can't wait to talk to you about them. I'm Antonio Barroso, your host. Thank you so much for joining us.